0: Let the church say amen. 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 Aren't you glad that God doesn't rely on wealthy people to accomplish his agenda in the earth? He doesn't rely on anyone or anything. He needs nothing, but he will use us. But he doesn't have to rely on wealthy people. God prefers to rely on willing people. Willing. Willing matter how much you have willing because in his hand a might becomes much willing it's always about the heart and I want to thank you for giving last week strong tower Um, we were able to exceed our weekly uh, budget goals I can't remember the exact number it may have been like 41,000 that was given in the general offering when we need around 17,000 to function so every now and then we'll see these wonderful blessings that god will bestow on us every now and then it will be lean and we will trust god whether we're on the mountain or in the valley you know we just sang about that right it reaches to the mountain when things are well his blood and his grace reach to the valley when things are a little lean and tight one thing for sure he is faithful and he is with us i want to thank god for the uh outreach team that went out yesterday to our brothers and sisters in elm hill not far from here mainly uh Our senior citizens, our seasoned saints in the Lord, uh, that you just went around sharing the gospel in word and in deed. So we thank God for you. I hear that amen over here. Amen. Out of the mouths of babes. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And um, and we're going to be going back out again, especially... uh, Preparing for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so if you'd like to join us in reaching out to the surrounding community. uh, Brother Atarius Collier is here. Atarius, raise your hand. Uh, Lasagna Thompson. Uh, If you want to join us, I heard about Sister Vi. Her daughter's just sharing the love of Jesus with people yesterday. Man, that's what it's all about. Amen. But we want more folks to come join us. They know about Strong Tower. They know that we're going to show up, uh, that there are no strings attached. Uh, We're just here to love folk uh, in word and in deed with the gospel. We're not trying to get people to our church. We're trying to get people into the kingdom of God. That's all we're doing. So this man is great. So I thank God for you. And uh, this morning, I am pleased to model a t-shirt that is for sale in the vestibule. Now, some of y'all don't know what I just said. (laughs) Vestibule. Yeah, 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 growing up in the black church, that was not the lobby, that was the what? vestibule baby <laughs> so out in the vestibule we have t-shirts for $20 and they say together we're making history and it's talking about the momentous event that's about to happen in two weeks with the placement of the United States Colored Troop Soldier in the city of Franklin that will happen on Saturday October 23rd at ten thirty a.m. rain or shine amen and so what we want to see is a sea of white t-shirts alright a sea of white t-shirts. Again, we're making history on that day. Strong Tower, we have been in this since 2017, uh, trying to tell a fuller story in the city of Franklin that has really mushroomed uh, to other states in the south around the country, uh, looking at what we're doing, not trying to deny history. But we're trying to tell portions of history that have been overlooked and left out, especially portions of history that revolve that involve uh, the experience, the struggle and uh, uh, just really the journey of people of African descent before, during and after the Civil War. And the reason why this is so significant, this last portion, because we put up five historic markers, which people said would never be done. And now we're putting up a statue of a black man, uh, which people said could never be done. Uh, But God likes to do stuff that people say can't be done. And uh, and so we're putting this up. And one reason why it's significant, not only does it tell the story of the nearly 200,000 men of color who enlisted in the Army and the Navy to fight during the Civil War and bring victory for the country, uh, but also what it represents is importance. It represents dignity and honor. Why? because there are approximately 718 statues to the confederacy in this country, 718. Now there are statues dedicated to the union or the federal or the side that won, but not nearly as many as those dedicated to the confederacy. Now when we talk about soldiers who are black or African or colored, there are at this time Only four statues in the country dedicated to the United States Colored Troop Soldiers. Four compared to 718. And the one we put up will be number five. So representation matters. If it didn't matter, it wouldn't have been so hard to get to this place to have it up. But it's going up. And uh, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And and, and because of that, we have uh, uh, messed with some strongholds. I don't know if y'all praying with me, we, we've messed with some strongholds that want to keep it a certain way. Yeah, right. The good old boy way, they, they just want to keep it. But we have said, no, no, if, if that Confederate statue can sit in the center of town and give homage to the Confederate soldiers, then we can have a soldier in the middle of town that gives homage to Union soldiers, especially black soldiers who fought in the Civil War. We can do it too. And that is what the Lord opened up for us. So Strong Tower, I have uh, relied on your help this whole four years, and I need your help as we come down the back stretch. I need to sell out all these t-shirts. I will have more next week. Uh, So we don't have them today. We run out today. We will have more next week Uh, There will be events on Thursday the 21st. We will be in the downtown Historic Theater in Franklin where Hewitt Sawyers, Kevin Riggs, Eric uh, Jacobson and myself will talk about the Fuller story experience We believe that our sculptor will be there as well, Joe Howard, and we'll just talk about how we got into this, what God did, the challenges we overcame by his grace, on and on and on. We want to tell the story because at some point we want to make a documentary uh, in order to encourage other countries, not cities around the country, um, how they can come together without trying to deny what happened in the past and the stuff that's still happening today. How we can work together uh, in the name of truth, honor, and dignity, and respect. So that'll be Thursday night and t-shirts will be for sale then. It'll also be broadcast uh, on online. And then Friday, we have a gala, an elegant evening with the Fuller Story. An event like this not only needs to be a dedication on Saturday morning, but we need to celebrate on Friday evening. So put your best gown, dress, tuxedo, suit on, and let's come out and pay homage even to the prayers of our ancestors. We are operating in the prayers of our ancestors. They prayed that they would be uh, uh, remembered, that they would not be forgotten, that they would be treated with decency and honor. Well, this generation, we get a chance to be the fruit of their prayers and say that we wouldn't be where we are without their sacrifices. We stand on their shoulders. Uh, Yes, it was the blood of Jesus, and it was also their blood that they shed uh, uh, really in a way that was unjust in this country. And we are here today because of that. So we're going to celebrate. We're going to continue to educate, and so that'll be a great night. Now the tickets are 100 dollars uh, for an individual, 1,000 for a table of 10. So some of our businessmen and women uh, have already bought tables. I'm asking for others to buy tables. Bring your staff, bring your team. Again, this is not something that happens every day. This is really once in a lifetime. Uh, We hope that it catches fire around the country, that people will do more of this. But for us, this is our moment, so get your $100. If you don't have $100, I have family members in Baltimore that said that they will sponsor one or two folk. I said one or two uh, to be able to go to this event, all right? Strong Tower will have a couple of tables. Uh but 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 reach down, make this make this sacrifice. Also Lena talked about getting a million dollar check. Uh I need I don't need a million dollars. I need about thirty thousand. Uh so so let's pray and ask God for thirty thousand because to underwrite that a banquet at the factory is gonna cost us approximately $30,000 so I'm looking for we're looking for maybe three donors that can give $10,000 and uh, we'll give them VIP treatment upstairs in the balcony remember strong tower used to meet in that factory and so up, and that's all our stuff that's still in there and, and up in the balcony you know, they're going to have a special menu and, and a bartender. Oh, excuse me. They're going, you're going to have your own people that's going to wait on you and all that kind of stuff, you know. So, yeah, man, it's going to be one, You don't want to miss this, okay? You want to be there. So, my, 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 my people that can just write a check and not think about it, I need your help. Amen. We need your help because we don't want to do this and we're begging. All right. We want to do this with class and dignity. God's God's going to provide it. We're going to get it. So, amen. And then Saturday morning at 1030 with the mayor of Franklin, the city administrator of Franklin, uh, the alderman. And uh, we have a group from the church strong tower that's going to sing acapella Negro spirituals that day called Kettle Praise. It is going to be a great day and we're going to pull the cover off of that statue for the world to see. So the Tennessean has already reached out to me saying, when is the statue coming? I said, it's coming on Thursday and, uh, and, and they want to be there to take pictures when it's taken off of the truck and it's installed. But listen to this, strong Tower. Listen to this. When I meet with Hewitt and Kevin and the guys next week, we've got to get a uh, security team rotating because the statue, they're going to install it Thursday. Then we'll cover it and it'll be there Thursday and Friday covered. But we need people, men and women who can watch it. Around the clock because there are fools out here okay so 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 we we need security people through the night because I don't know if you saw the George Floyd uh, um, uh, memorial that went up not long after it went up some coward drove by and tossed white paint on it and that's one of the reasons we need to raise the money we need to raise for upkeep because we know unfortunately there will be someone who will try to deface this history so we want to have money on hand that we can clean it and all the things we need to do. But, uh, but while it's covered, I'm looking for a couple people from our church that can help us. I'll talk more about that next week. I may even go out there for a shift, maybe late in the midnight hour, about 2 a.m. I'll be there with my pistol. I mean, uh, with my <laughs> prayer journal, uh, my scriptures. <laughs> I don't have a pistol. I, I've, I've never owned a gun, never shot a gun. Uh, but I know probably three quarters of you in this church, that's not your testimony. Some of y'all, right now, anyway, 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 where's Bernard at? Bernard is Mm -hmm. we got to pray for y'all, gotta pray for y'all, amen. So, turn in your Bibles, and I want to make sure this wonderful, these wonderful musicians pray underneath my prayer today. Um, y'all, isn't our worship ministry glorious? Isn't what God gave us amazing? These excellent brothers here, our sisters and brothers who sing in the spirit of the Levites that do war and go before the armies, giving God praise and honor, we are blessed and, and may we not take it for granted what we have every Sunday here. And we want to pray for them, too, because, again, this is warfare. This is not performance for these guys. This this is spiritual warfare. Because, believe me, when we talk about anything you do for God, uh, where you're pushing against the gates of hell, there will be pushback. So with all this stuff with the statue, my family has been unusually attacked in this season. Now, we don't think it's strange because of these fiery trials. We recognize what it is, that certain things are coming at us right now to try to discourage us and and get us distracted. Things come against these guys and our sisters and brothers who sing because the enemy doesn't want them up here proclaiming uh, uh, faith. and 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 lifting up god so it's spiritual warfare pray for pastor jerry as he administers around this church through the week and he deals with things he'll never even tell me about people he helps and people he serves in the community in the church man pray for us pray for us and again pray for my family these next two weeks again as we topple strongholds of ignorance and racism and oppression uh again the enemy works but god god's people work too so um, so we're going to pray. Let me read the scripture today. Second Timothy chapter one. Can somebody say help him, Lord? Yes, help me, Lord. Second Timothy chapter one. We're in a new series called Encouragement and Admonishment. Paul's final letter to Timothy. And today we're going to be in verses three through seven. And they read as follows. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I'm gonna put a tag on this text today. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna entitle this message, Stir Up Your Gift, and fan it into flame stir up your gift and fan it into flame let's pray God's people father God we thank you that we get to worship we thank you Lord that you're not looking for people who are qualified but you qualify everyone that you call the best thing we can do is say yes Lord here I am use me And we know, Lord, you're using any of us in spite of us. When you called Jeremiah, he tried to complain and say, Lord, I'm but a youth. I can't do what you told me to do. And and he said that as if you didn't know he was young when you called him. When you called Moses, Moses gave you an excuse and said he can't speak well. He stammers as if you didn't know that when you called Moses. You know all of our inhibitions all of our setbacks, our insecurities, the things that don't qualify us to serve you, yet alone know you. But I heard about grace. And how it superbounds over our sin. I heard about grace and how it's unmerited, unearned favor. And that same grace that qualifies us is the same grace that empowers us, emboldens us to go forward because it's you that we seek to honor and not ourselves. God, have your way in this fellowship. Help me preach your word. Help somebody get something out of this, whether they're in the building or online. Paul said, your word is not chained. It's gonna go forth and accomplish that which you set it out to do. Produce fruit, Lord, in keeping with repentance. Open up ears, hearts, and minds. We praise you in advance, because we're about to hear from you. Speak, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. Darina, can you hand me my water? I'm a little parched, and it'll give me one more time to look at you. Oh, baby, I love you. My opening illustration is about us. I didn't get a chance to clear this with you, but I hope we're good afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Next month, no, no, in December. Excuse me, December twenty eighth, we will celebrate thirty years of marriage. Wow. Amen. Wow. Amen. Yeah. Chauncey, how many years you enjoy, Scott? Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine. Lord have mercy. Thirty-nine. Amen. Where's Joyce? Is that Joyce up there? She up there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And the uh, Pursue Marriage class took a break this morning because of spring, fall break. They'll be back online next week. But uh, marriage, um, being single is a blessing. That's what Paul said. It's a gift. And being married is a gift. And uh, early in our marriage, early... Dorina and I learned an important principle and that is if you're going to tell me what I'm doing wrong, please be sure to also tell me what I'm doing right. <laughs> I don't know if you heard what I just said. If you're going to tell me what I'm doing wrong because I'm doing things wrong and she was doing some things wrong and it's easy to harp on what is being done wrong without talking about what is being done well or done right. Uh, uh, It's hard to receive correction when there's an absence of encouragement. And so one of the things we learned in our marriage, we may have gone to a seminar or retreat somewhere, and that is before you lay into your spouse about things that need to change, be adjusted or corrected, can you tell them the things, even if it's one or two, that they are doing right that they are doing well, because it makes it easier to receive the correction. In other words, encourage me before you correct me. Encourage me before you admonish me. Today, we're going to see how Paul used this method of encouraging Timothy before he admonished him. I tell you, it goes a long way. Last week, I explained what the difference is between encouragement and admonishment. Encouragement is the act of giving someone support, holistic support, personal support, spiritual support, emotional, verbal, financial, physical support. You are lifting a person up because they are discouraged. They've lost courage, so you're coming to encourage them or place courage in them by lifting them up and encouraging them. Uh, Admonishment, on the other hand, is the act of firmly warning, advising, correcting, or even reprimanding someone because we all need correcting because none of us get it right all of the time. We are our brother and sister's keeper. Iron sharpens iron. We speak the truth in love. Even if it hurts, it hurts to heal when it's spoken in love. And so we need to speak admonishment to one another. And we talked about how Paul knew that Timothy needed encouragement and admonishment and how everyone needs encouragement and admonishment. Uh, It's not just for pastors, but it's for husbands. It's for wives It's for children. It's for people who work and lead folks. It's for students. Everybody needs encouragement and admonishment. And when we have both in a way that's done in love, we flourish and we grow. Now, when we come to 2 Timothy, this is Paul's final letter. It's written somewhere around 66, 67 AD, before uh, Rome destroys Jerusalem and burns down the temple. Uh, Nero is the emperor. Paul is facing his second Roman imprisonment. The book of Acts shares with us his first Roman imprisonment. And he gets out of jail at the end of Acts. Uh, But he goes back into jail and he knows that this is going to be his final time and that he is going to be Executed. In other words, he's going to receive the death penalty. Side note, caveat, this is one reason why I don't believe in the death penalty here in this country. Because Paul is an innocent man. He's in jail for preaching the gospel, which was illegal in that time because Caesar was seen as Lord. But Paul comes along teaching that Jesus, Yeshua, is Lord And so that was illegal, and he wouldn't have really landed in jail had there not been people of his own who were pursuing him from all over the place trying to kill him. So he appealed his case to Caesar's court. Uh, And so anyway, uh, he is in jail. He knows this is his final time uh, before he dies, and he writes this letter. Maybe his last will and testament, if you will, but he's writing to his protege, Timothy to give him final words of encouragement and admonishment. And so Paul encourages Timothy in verses three through five by saying these things. He says, I remember you without ceasing in my prayers night and day. He said that in verse three. In other words, I'm praying for you, Timothy, without ceasing. Because when you're in jail, you have a lot of time to pray. Again, he's in jail for doing the right thing. And again, there are people who die on death row and they haven't been proven guilty. And besides all of that, Brian Stevenson reminds us that just because someone may take a life, that doesn't mean that their life is worthy to be taken. Uh, Where is grace? Where is mercy? But not to mention, though, there are many people who die unjustly because they have been uh, profiled and, and all of that. And then evidence comes out later. But anyway, anyway, I digress. I get back to my text. A good man, an innocent man is on death row. And he says, I'm praying while I'm here. I'm praying for you, Timothy. And isn't it always encouraging when somebody tells you they're praying for you? When they tell you we're praying for you and we're doing it night and day. Uh, In other words, you are a regular on my prayer list. Then he says to him, I greatly desire to see you in verse four. So he's encouraging him because if it was somebody uh, that discouraged Paul, Paul wouldn't want to see this person. But he's encouraging Timothy saying, man, I like you so much, man. I want to see you. I desire to see you while I'm locked up. And several times in this letter, he says to Timothy, come to me, come to me. He wants to see this guy. So, So he's encouraging him because Timothy's presence encourages Paul. Then he says, I am mindful of your tears, in verse 4. And sometimes men in the Western context, we read things like this and think that men who cry are men who are soft. Uh, No, that's the furthest thing from the truth, because Jesus wept, and and nothing soft about Jesus. Uh, Men can express their emotions. Uh, Jeremiah was known as what kind of prophet? The weeping prophet. Timothy wept, Paul wept, men cry. And he says, I am mindful of your tears. Some commentators have said that Timothy was crying the last time he saw Paul because he knew he was going to prison and that he would die. But he says, I'm mindful of your tears. He says also, you fill me with joy in verse four. Again, there's something about you that feeds life into me. So the aged apostle is encouraging his young protege. He says in verse five, I remember the genuine faith that is in you. Man, you're saved, 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 saved. You have a genuine faith. You really know God and you love God. Man, I'm encouraging you. And then he says, I'm persuaded that the genuine faith, which first dwelt in your mother and your grandmother now dwells in you also. So he says, man, you come from a great stock and heritage of people who love God. And the only reason some of us are here today is because of the prayers of Big Mama. The only reason some of us are here today is because our mother, our grandmother, our grandfathers, they prayed for us, which is why we must pray for our children and our children's children. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy. What a way to open the letter. I think Pastor Jerry talked about how Paul has a way in his uh, greetings, how he's able to kind of set the tone of what he wants to do. But imagine if he had jumped out with admonishment first, which is what we're going to get beginning at verse six with the word therefore. So that therefore is an indicator. I'm about to shift now. I just encourage you. But I'm about to shift now because now I got to challenge you. Now I got to instruct you. But he didn't start off with verse six in verse three. Again, can I go into your house for a sec? Don't just amen my introduction. Something me and Darina had to learn, we're still learning. Can you learn how before you uh, admonish your children, can you tell them something that they're doing well? Can you encourage them first? I know you left all these dishes in the sink, but before I get to do- you took the trash out like I told you. You made your bed like I told you, but these nasty dishes, you know what I'm saying? Before you get to the dishes, tell them what they did right. But a lot of times we leave with the dishes, don't we? We throw dishes at him. Anyway. But 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 he says, therefore, in verse six, let me read it. I remind you. I gotta remind you, meaning I told you this before. Mm, yeah. Uh-oh, that's what Brother Ron said. Uh-oh. And that's how it is a lot of times in marriage and in any other relationship. Usually instruction, those are things that need to be repeated. And so Paul says, I got to remind you of what I've told you before. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Stir up the gift. Uh, uh, Timothy's gift, I I, got to say this before I go on, I got to deal with some theology here. Because when Paul says this gift is in you through the laying on of hands, it doesn't mean that. Timothy got his spiritual gift by Paul laying hands. Now, we know sometimes the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts will come upon people through the laying on of hands, speaking of connection, community, agreement, all of that. But but when Paul met Timothy in Acts 16, Timothy was already a disciple. He was already a follower of Jesus. He already had the Holy Spirit, okay? So the laying of hands here speaks on the fact That when Timothy was ordained, there was a clergy, a group of men who laid hands on him, and they affirmed and confirmed his gift and his calling. Because that's what happens at an ordination. We uh, uh, we can only lay our hands on people that God already laid his hands on first. So, Timothy, God put his hands on Timothy because he was known in the community, Acts chapter 16, of being a wonderful, upstanding young man of God. Paul saw that and said, I want to take him with me. So when he talks about the laying of hands here in verse 6, it's speaking of his ordination, which is also found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Okay, so, so he didn't put a spiritual gift in him. He was affirming and confirming the spiritual gifts that were already on him that were associated with his calling. All right, Pastor, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. What was Timothy's gift or spiritual gift? Uh, when we read the text... His spiritual gift, because these are divine enablements that come from God that he gives to every believer. Every believer has at least one. Um, All of us really have many, but we have a foremost gift. There are speaking gifts, serving gifts, and sign gifts in the Bible. And, and, And Timothy more than likely had the gift, number one, of evangelism. Because in 2 Timothy chapter 4... Paul tells him in verse five, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So he probably had the gift of evangelism, which is why he didn't mind going around with Paul, who had the gift of evangelism and apostleship and could go from place to place to place. Uh, So many of us, we don't have the gift of evangelism. Others of us, man, we, love, we have the gift of evangelism. We love doing evangelism. For others of us, we do evangelism to be obedient to Jesus. But it's not our gift, our passion. Uh, 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 but, but Timothy probably had that gift. But not only that, he probably had the gift of pastor-teacher. Because in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus to take care of the churches there. So he is a pastor of pastors. He's a bishop over the churches in Ephesus. And you can't do that ministry without the Holy Spirit gifting you and calling you to do it. So Paul and the guy saw these gifts operating in this young man, laid hands on him and commissioned him to do the work. To, to steward and oversee the churches in Ephesus and also to do evangelism. But when we come to 2 Timothy, Paul's final letter to his spiritual son, he says, I've got to remind you to stir up the gift that is in you because I've seen your gift go dormant before and I had to stir you up and now it's dormant again and I have to remind you to stir up the gift of God that is in you again. And so therefore, we need to, to all of us need to look at ourselves and say, Oh, man, I remember when I was on fire using my gift and doing this. And and then all of a sudden we stopped and our gifting became dormant and we need to be stirred again with our gifting. Let me give you an example here. My lawnmower, I I used to have a, a gas powered lawnmower. I told you a couple weeks ago in my testimony of deliverance that I went from gas to a battery operated lawnmower. One of the reasons I did that is because uh, I'm a little trifling. I'm not a good steward of engines and stuff. So two times when I had my gas engine, I left gasoline in it over the winter and, and all that stuff. And so gasoline would sit in my lawnmower for months. Then when I would pull it out in the spring and try to cut grass, the thing wouldn't start. And I would get mad at the lawnmower when I should have been getting mad at myself because I left gasoline in it for months. What's the problem? Oh, I learned the hard way. And, and I bought me a battery powered one so I wouldn't have to learn that lesson no more. Uh, but if you leave gas in the lawnmower for months or throughout the winter, the gas will grow stale and gum up the carburetor, which makes the internal parts rust. The inactivity and rusting decreases the life of the lawnmower because gas was not meant to sit. Gas is meant to be used. Jerry, am I all right? Am I okay? Am I online? I got to talk to my mechanic. See any other mechanic? Am I all right so far? Gas is not meant to sit. It's meant to be used. And if it sits, it affects the mower and it gives rust and corrosion. And when you call on it in the springtime, it won't work because it's been sitting through winter time. And the Holy Spirit's gifting is like that. It's not if you don't use it, you'll lose it. You're not going to lose it because the gifts and calls, calling of God, they're irrevocable. But they become ineffective when you sit on what God gave you to do. and Timothy was sitting on his gift of evangelism, which is why Paul said, I need you to fulfill your ministry. Why? Because you've been tripping lately. I need you to do the work of an evangelist. Why? Because you've been tripping lately. I'm going to explain in a moment why I think he was tripping like that, but he says, I got to remind you to stir up the gift of God that is in you. Now, before I move on, I got to say, it's not up to God to stir up the gift that's in you. God gave you the gift. He's not going to stir it up. We have to stir it up. So he didn't say, I remind you, Timothy, I ask God to stir up the gift that's in you. He says, no, I remind you to stir up the gift. And in the Greek context, it's in the present continuous tense, which means stir it up and keep it stirred up. But what we do is we stir it up, we stop. We stir it up, we stop. We stir it up, we stop. We're using our gift for a season, then we stop. But don't you know, don't you know that part of your purpose in life is connected to your spiritual gift? Ah, let me see if I can say it this way. Your spiritual gift works with your personality style. It works with your context of where God placed you, your spiritual enablement, the gift that he gave you. And, and, and through that, you, when you operate in it, you're operating in your purpose. And in your purpose, you find your calling and it's connected to your gifting. He gave you that gift for a reason. He gave you the gift to glorify him, to edify the body, and to satisfy yourself. Did you hear the rhymes? To glorify him, to edify others, and to satisfy yourself. And as you operate in your gifting, you're operating in your calling, which means you're operating in your purpose. But if you're not operating in your gifting, how he wired you, how he made you, what he poured into you when he saved you, You're going to be asking, what is my purpose in life? What is my calling? Really, it goes back to, what's your spiritual gifting? Because when you find your spiritual gift, whether it's in the sign gifts, the serving gifts, the speaking gifts, and really, Paul said, the best gifts are the serving gifts. Yeah, 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 pursue those. Uh, When you find your gifting, you find where you fit. But if you don't know your spiritual gifting, you're going to try to do life without God's hand on you, Christian. So, so so, find your gifting, you find your calling, and you find your purpose. And when you're not operating in that, you're miserable. You're not growing. Timothy, for a season, was not operating in his gifting, which meant he was missing his calling and his purpose and his fulfillment in life. But a spiritual father, his pastor, writing from a jail cell, boy, I got to remind you again, stir up the gift of God that is in you, which came from the laying on of my hands. Another way of seeing this concept is found in the New International Version. Second Timothy 1.6 in the New International Version says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. That's the NIV. New King James Version says, stir up the gift that is in you. In other words, don't let the gift lie dormant. NIV uses, takes the Greek construct, and they translate it as fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. So what is that about? Now, now I'm not a camper, but I have had a fireplace or two in my pilgrimage here on earth. And when you camp or you light a fire, uh, you, you first lay down some dry twigs, and you use that as kindling. Uh, I'm speaking the language of our campers right now. I cannot stand camping, but God bless y'all. Uh, 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 you, you get the twigs, dry twigs, used for kindling, uh, uh, followed by layers of small branches and logs. Then you light like the match. And some of y'all are so deep in the woods, you don't use no lighter fluid, nothing. You're just rubbing sticks together. You just love that stuff. And then all of a sudden, boof. You get a fire. It starts slow, then it builds, and it engulfs. It's a flame. It's so wonderful. You sit around with marshmallows, and you sing kumbaya. You pray. You know, you hug each other. Because the fire against the, the backdrop of the dark night, oh, it's so cozy. It brings spiritual thoughts out of men and commitments around the fire. But then you go to sleep in the warmth of the fire. Then you wake up in the morning cold, can't even get enough covers on you because the fire started dying down. you awaken to find that it's no longer burning like it was. But there are still some live embers in there. And so what you do is you, you don't need to get another match to relight the fire. You just need to blow on the embers And then fan them. You you blow on the embers, you you move it around, you poke it, prod it a little bit, get some oxygen in there because, in order for the fire to grow, it needs some oxygen, it needs some wind, okay? And and, and it begins to grow. And as it begins to grow, you add more uh, twigs and more branches to it, and it begins to grow again. With the increased oxygen, the fire grows again. With the waving, the fanning, the fire engulfs again. Are you following me so far here? A dying fire needs oxygen and fanning, and a dying Christian needs oxygen and fanning. Yeah, you're alive, but you're dying because you're not operating the way God calls you to operate. The most miserable person is the Christian who knows what he or she ought to do, but isn't doing it, making excuses. And when you start saying, okay, Lord, I'll do what you have told me to do. I will operate according to your gifting that you gave me, which is connected to my calling and purpose. Then all of a sudden you're on fire. You're satisfied with life as you glorify God and edify your neighbor. That's how it's supposed to work. But sometimes our fire needs oxygen. It needs fanning. So how do you fan yourself? You've been to church when there ain't no air conditioning in the church. you getting back to a church with a vestibule. <laughs> they walk the aisles with what? Fans. And you fan yourself, unless you're somebody special and other people fan you or something. You fan <laughs> yourself. Well, if you fall out, you know, the, the, the ushers, they come in with the white dresses. Praise the Lord. And they fan in you because you need some air. Well, Paul is saying, fan yourself back into flame, boy. Because your fire got low. Fan yourself. How does a Christian fan himself or herself? I don't know. I think maybe one way is you open your mouth. Because just as you blow on the embers, maybe you got to open your mouth and speak some things. Maybe you got to use your mouth and start praying to God. Out loud. And none of this is just silent, you know, put your head down. Maybe if you're fired for your gift of administration, you're fired for the gift of hospitality, you're fired for the gift of evangelism, you're fired for the gift of teaching, that thing that you used to be excited about, if it's not, open your mouth and start praying to God about the gift and say, God, can you show me how and where I can use my gift to glorify you, edify the bodies that I might be satisfied again? Lord, show me, Pray. And then how about you use your mouth with some oxygen and praise the Lord? Because when you're out of fellowship, I I, I think your praise and worship game is off, you know, because you're out of fellowship. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. The spirit is grieved in you. The fire has been quenched, which is what the Bible says. Quench not the Holy Spirit. Don't put his fire out. But the fire comes back when you begin to worship and praise God. And then out of that, see, I keep my peas. I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to pronounce what I'm going to do. I'm going to speak what I'm going to do. I'm going to get back up and go back to church. I'm going to get back up and start serving in the ministry again. I'm going to use my gifts again. I'm going to pronounce it because it's just another way of holding me accountable because death and life are in the power of the tongue. Before David decapitated or hit a, a Goliath upside the head with the boulder, I should say, he said what he was going to do. We got to say we're coming back. We got to say we're going to serve. But here's the challenge. Here's the real challenge. COVID did a number on the body of Christ. COVID did a number on the body of Christ because it distanced us rightfully so. Rightfully so. But how can I use my gift if it's to edify others, but I have to socially distance from the people of God? So, so all of us in a real sense, unless you've been speaking using your gift on a regular, like Pastor Jerry and I and others who sing, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, those of us who have serving gifts, These 18 months, it's been hard for us because we haven't been able to serve in the nursery, haven't been able to serve in children's ministry because that's what we love to do. We have the gift of mercy, again, the gift of hospitality, but I can't have nobody over my house right now. So you're not operating in the way God made you. But I hope that as we're moving towards uh, herd immunity, as we're moving towards uh, coming back out again, we will also come back out and start using our gifts again. Because otherwise, your fire is just going to keep going down and going. We need to fan it or, or the gasoline will sink. You know, Listen, if you have a basketball and you have it in your garage, and you leave it sitting there for months, the air is what? Gonna go out of it. And you go to play and bounce it and then boop, it won't bounce. It needs more air, need more oxygen. Or your tires on your bicycle or your car, they go flat because of the inactivity. So we gotta find a way to get active again so that we can get pumped back up. We can fan ourselves. The fire can start blooming again in our lives. So Timothy, Paul is saying to him, man, I I remind you, stir up, you get fan into flame, the gift of God. Now, when we come to verse seven, as I close, this verse has been quoted, misquoted for a long time. Because like a lot of misquotes, we take it out of context. When he hits verse 7 about God not giving us a spirit of fear or timidity, that's not talking about COVID. These hillbilly preachers in Tennessee using this passage to say that. Now, if we're going to get over here to application, okay, but, but can you give me some sound interpretation first? Before you just take a verse and make it say what you want it to say? For God has not giving us a spirit of fear. You're afraid of COVID. Because I wear a mask and got a vaccine don't mean I'm afraid. That means I'm wise and I care about my neighbor. So I'm not going to let you tell me I'm afraid. Maybe you're afraid. I'm not. But what's the context here with Timothy? Timothy's gift is going down. It's dormant. It's settling. The fire is burning out. And he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Meaning that for whatever reason, that fire is going down. Fear is... Connected to it. So the question then is, what was Timothy afraid of? And if you don't get fear, here's Second Timothy 1.7 in the NIV. Y'all got 2 Timothy 1.7 in the NIV? For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Y'all got that one? Is it up? Oh, you don't have that one? My bad. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. So NIV says timidity. New King James says Fear. Okay, so, so what was Timothy so fearful or timid about? Mm-hmm. Now, before I attempt to answer that question, let me remind you that Timothy was no coward because usually he gets a bad rap. Yeah. Timothy was just a punk in the ministry. Can I use punk today or will the people come get me for using that word? Yeah, come on and get me. I grew up with punk anyway. My brother Harold would call me a punk. You know, anyway, anyway, I called him one back. So anyway, <laughs> Timothy was no punk. Why? You try traveling around with the great gospel globetrotter from city to city and place to place. People trying to kill you and stone you. You, you try doing that. Some of us can't even take a weekend missions trip. Man, I ain't going to Haiti, man. It's hard over there. I'm not going to Nigeria. Yeah, it's hard over there. Can you give God 72 hours? I don't know. I got to pray fast, grab the horns of the altar. I just don't know. Well, they're out there living out there for months and years on the mission field. Timothy accompanied Paul on multiple missionary journeys. He wasn't soft at all. So so let's debunk that right now. He wasn't soft because he was raised by women. Yeah. Let's debunk that right now. Yeah. His father wasn't in his life, but thank God he had his mother and his grandmother. And they didn't raise him to be soft. Can I say that? I said it anyway. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because some women raise their sons to be soft, which is why you need the church. When we see your son, we're going to punch him in the chest. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm just saying stuff. I'm, hey, I'm going to do what I do. And before I attempt to answer this, let me remind you that many great people in the Bible wrestled with periodic bouts of fear, including, but not limited to, Abraham, the father of our faith. He had bouts with fear. How do I know? Man, look at this woman right here. Baby, when they come up to you, don't say you my wife, say you my sister, so they don't kill me. He did that because he was afraid. He lied because he was fearful. Moses had bouts with fear. Lord, please just send somebody else, not me. Well, let me grab your brother Aaron. He can talk. And then Aaron comes along. Then Moses is doing all the talking when you read Exodus. Why? Because God put the gift in him. Then he got weak and said, get Aaron to do the talking. But Moses did all the talking because that's what he was supposed to do. But he was scared. Lord, I can't talk. I I stutter. I stutter. I knew that when I called you. But he was afraid. He had a bout with fear. Jacob was afraid of his brother Esau, the one whose name was changed into Israel. Uh, 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 Jeremiah was afraid. And all of the disciples were afraid. Jesus would say to them, oh, you of little faith, why are you afraid? So all of these great men have wrestled with bouts of fear. Even the guy who wrote this to Timothy. We want to make him some kind of super saint that never had any issues or problems. But Paul was a regular person who understood weakness, which is why he could write about it in 2 Corinthians 12. The strength you see comes from the fact that he was weak in the presence of God and God made him strong in the presence of people. He went into the prayer closet as a pussycat, came out as a lion. His boldness came from intimacy with God, but he also knew his brokenness and his limitations, but he took it before God. But he was fearful at times. In Acts chapter 18, Paul is in Ephesus, and the Bible says that Jesus had to show up to him and speak to him, verses 9 through 10, Acts 18, and tell Paul, don't be afraid. Now, when God tells folk not to be afraid, that means he knows folks are afraid. Come on now. It don't take a genius to get that. Don't be afraid, Paul. They just tried to kill you. Again, he's spiritual, but he's human. Like, man, again, Paul, don't be afraid. I've got many people in this city who need to hear you. Get back and go back out there. Get up and go back out there. But he wrestled with a momentary bout of fear. And not only people in the Bible, but great men and women throughout human history have wrestled with periodic bouts of fear. I'm trying to help somebody right now so that you don't have to think because you've got fear or you've had fear that God can't use you or something's wrong with you. Thomas Jefferson had fear. Abraham Lincoln had fear. These men didn't want to have public speaking. They didn't want to speak in front of people, but they had to overcome the fear. Martin Luther King Jr. had fear. Will Smith, the actor, has confessed his fear. Warren Buffett, the billionaire, has talked about his fear. Gandhi, the great leader out of India, has had fear. So people have had fear. Becoming fearful is not the problem remaining fearful is the problem becoming fearful is not the problem because fear reminds us that we're human fear reminds us that we need God but if you walk around bold and bad a lot of that courage ain't from the Holy Ghost that's from you so becoming afraid is not the problem staying afraid is Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the resolve to face your fears. You face it and you go forward. Even if your knees are knocking and your voice is trembling, you go forward in Jesus name and you will find that the strength will come. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Strength will come with each step you take. Don't sit over here in fear and wait for God to zap you. That ain't going to happen. No, you got fear, but you got the command of what he told you to do. Start walking in what he told you to do and the fear will go away. That spirit from the enemy that wants to intimidate you and paralyze you and threaten you, it will go away. The more you start walking in God and with God, that spirit can't have dominion over you. Because you've got to operate in your gifting, your calling, and your purpose. But fear wants to stop you. So, pastor, what was Timothy afraid of, man? Ah. Was he afraid of suffering? Maybe. Paul's going to hit that next week. Because he saw the lumps that got put up on the side of his spiritual father's head how he'd been beaten and stoned. And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm down and all, but man, you see that beating he just took? Yeah. So, so so maybe he was a little tentative or timid, knowing that, man, the more I walk with this dude, the bloodier it gets, okay? So, so again, let's not be over-spiritual with these guys. No, 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 that, that could have been some of it. But let me offer you another thought. Perhaps he saw What ministry cost Paul and it would cost him. But could it be that Timothy, here it is y'all. Knowing that his mentor, his leader, his spiritual father and pastor was about to die. That his fear or timidity might have been the enormity of what it would mean to replace him. I said something right there. That he's thinking he's about to die, which means next man up. He's been grooming me to follow in his steps. And, and maybe he's fearful and timid because he knows the enormity of that assignment. And he's probably saying, there's no way I can fill Paul's sandals. I know, I know that doesn't hit some of y'all. But don't you know one of the hardest things to do is to follow a charismatic or a successful leader in business, in the home? I I can never do what my mom did. I can never be like my father. Man, they're talking about me taking over for, for this pastor in the church. Let's keep it real here with pastors. One of the hardest things to do is to follow a great pastor. Because when you're pastoring that pastor's congregation, you're standing up in front of them, but they're still listening to the old pastor that died. Y'all, y'all, Chauncey, am I talking truth? That's why it's called a transition. A new preacher has got to go through a season of transition. Because if the old pastor is buried in the backyard, he's still pastoring them folk that's sitting in the church. I'm trying to tell you that. (laughs) Which is why that new preacher can't force it. He's got to wait because the influence of the old pastor is strong. How do you follow Martin Luther King Jr? That's why nobody followed Martin Luther King Jr. Surely wasn't Jesse. To think about how you follow that. And I would say he's fearful like, I got to take this mantle on. My spiritual dad's been, perhaps that's it. But Timothy, like all of us need to be reminded that you can't replace someone that's great. You can only succeed them. And had someone began to talk to him to say, Timothy, you can't be Paul, but you can be Timothy. Succeeding Paul, not replacing Paul. Now, I don't know how long I'm going to pastor, but I pray for the person who is going to succeed me, not replace me. But whoever this person going to get up in here, some of y'all going to be like, that's not how Pastor Chris would do it. That's not how Pastor Chris would say it. <laughs> get a new person a shot. Because that's tough. Sitting there saying, those are some big shoes. To follow E.K. Bailey. To follow Ken Hutcherson. When Tony Evans goes off the scene, can you imagine... There's timidity there. I don't care what you say because that's greatness. But again, I can't be that person. I can only be me. Oscar Wilde says something to the effect of uh, don't try to be somebody else because that's taken. Be yourself. Be yourself. So, Tower, I asked you, uh, is your fire burning or is it dormant? If it's dormant, you got to breathe on it. You got to pray and say, God, put me back in the fight. Lord, I praise you because there's none like you, Lord. And I pronounce I'm getting back in the fight. Lord, pump me back up. I'm going to stir myself up. Help me, Jesus. If you're afraid, call out your fear and say, that is not greater than my God. Whatever it is, if it's even a fear of spiders or a fear of drowning, a fear of flying, a fear of close uh, 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 cavities with people, uh, uh, a fear of the virus, confess that to God and say, we're going to face it. He doesn't want anything over you, binding you, controlling you. And when the fear comes up, reminding you that you're human, that's a great reminder to also pray to God and say, God, You gave me power. You gave me love. And there's no fear in perfect love. You gave me a sound mind or the ability to think right and to then act right, self-discipline. That's what you gave me. Rather than talking about what fear is trying to rob me of, let me talk about all that you gave me. For you gave me power, love, and of a sound mind. And I'm going to believe that by faith because you haven't called me to walk by my feelings. You haven't called me to walk by sight. You called me to walk by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. This is what you said. Peter, Lord, is that you out there? Yeah. Can I come out? Come on. Come on, because I said so. He gets out the boat, walks on water, doing great, Till he looks around. Boom. And maybe you were doing great, and you start looking around, and boom. You better call out to Jesus. No other help I know. Lord, lift me up again, because I, I want to walk with you, I want to operate in my gifting. I know COVID kind of shut the church down, but let me find a way to creatively use my gifts. Let me do a hybrid ministry of what I do. Let me help Felicia with the children, even though I can't be in the children's rooms back there, there's a way I can encourage kids as they come in and give them bags and help her with curriculum. And Lord, show me how to involve myself again. and watch your fire start coming. Back to life. We are most spiritual when we use our spiritual gifts. And as your pastor, I admonish you to stir up the gift of God that is in you to fan into flame. I admonish you. I challenge you to let God show you his power again. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. As my sister comes to share and close us out. Thank you for the marching orders today.